I'd like to thank Mr. Dean for the welcome here to Cross Gar. It's nice to be with you. And I have all those notes, but actually, the most of those notes I'm not going to deal with whatsoever. I just have them there. And it's nice, as I say, to be with you. He said, Two for Man of Men. Well, actually, I was born in Portadown, uh, but I am a Fermanagh man. Uh, we moved to Fermanagh when I was about four. I grew up in Fermanagh, went to the same school as Mr. Dane, but not at the same time. I was out in Singapore, I suppose it was seven or eight years ago, and someone made the comment that it was very fit for a man of 80, and uh, wasn't even 70 at the time, <laughs> let alone being fit for a man uh, of 80. And uh, to say, we went to the same school, uh, and also to the same school as uh, Henry Francis Light, who wrote the hymn Abide With Me, uh, which is the tune of that hymn that we were singing, Immortal Honours Rest on Jesus' Head. Uh, and on a sad note, his parents and my parents are buried in the same graveyard in Kilskire. Uh, but, as I said, it's nice to be with you. I'd like to read with you from Psalm 128. Psalm 128. Very short psalm, so we shall read through the psalm, and then we'll bow together in a word of prayer. Psalm 128. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion... We were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And we bow together now in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this beautiful psalm, psalm of testimony, a psalm that speaks of what the Lord has done for his people. Help us, O Lord, to appreciate those of us who are thine, all that thou hast done on our behalf. Help me, O God, to speak well, of Jesus Christ, my glorious and precious Saviour. And I pray, O God, that thou wilt fill me with thy Spirit. I pray that thou wilt pour out thy Spirit upon this gathering. May we submit ourselves to thy will. And may we say, as Samuel was instructed, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 3, of this psalm, the psalmist says, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And in Psalm 34 and verse 8, there's what you might call a parallel verse, where it says, O taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed or happy is the man that trusteth in him. And I can say this, the Lord has done great things for me, and I rejoice in that fact. Where would I be tonight if the Lord hadn't had mercy upon me and if he hadn't saved my precious soul? As I said, I was born in Portadown in 1947 in June, so you've worked that out. You're saying you're 76. Well, not quite. Another few days 
and I will be. tell you that because you probably think I'm a lot older, but uh, the Lord was good. Uh, we were living in County Tyrone at the time. Uh, my father worked in uh, the creamery at Kilimanjaro, in fact, two creameries, and the one man managed both creameries, and my father was waiting for that man to step down from one of the posts that he occupied because apparently he shouldn't have been managing uh, the Cooperative Society and also uh, the Milk Marketing Board Creamery. He was waiting. The man showed no signs of stepping down from one and an opportunity came for him to move to County Fermanagh to a creamery there uh, and he moved to that position and that brought us in 1951 to County Fermanagh. And that was all in the providence of God. Uh, in County Fermanagh, I remember as a young boy one thing, uh, and that was when I was young, a fear of death. Probably uh, seven, eight, nine, ten. I, I can't just put a figure on it or a number on it, but I remember lying awake at night in bed and I was afraid at the thought of death. And I thought that the way to get right with God, to get to heaven, uh, was to overbalance your evil deeds with your good deeds. And I thought in the morning, uh, when it's light, I'll read the Bible uh, and I'll pray. And I was going to do so much. But you know what it's like? You come to the morning, the light, there's no darkness. The fear just disappeared. And I forgot about my resolutions. But I do remember one thing that, that stands out. I remember a funeral, and we were in the creamery house, and uh, our uh, window, our, uh, it was a gable window, really, it looked down uh, upon the Methodist church. Uh, and uh, I went to that Methodist church, and also the Church of Ireland, for we were very ecumenical, as you can see. Uh, uh, my father was always working on a Sunday with the creamery, uh, and uh, he didn't go to church, uh, and he had to be there to look after the creamery well. We went to the Methodist, which was just down the hill, and then later, when uh, I was able to drive, we went uh, to the Church of Ireland, which uh, was uh, what we were. We were uh, members of the Church of Ireland. But I remember looking out of that window, the landing window, as we would have called it, and there was a funeral uh, coming up the hill from the Methodist Church to the burial place at the Church of Ireland in Manet. And there was a lot of men walking behind the hearse. And as a young person, that really struck me. I had that fear of death, always had that fear of death. And I remember looking in that scene. I remember a man coming up behind uh, the, the hearse, along with his father and some other relatives. I would say there were many men. Uh, it was a mass of men because at that time, it was nearly all men that attended a funeral. Uh, and I remember a man heartbroken over his mother's death. It was his mother's funeral. And recently, I was giving my testimony uh, in a place called Springfield Orange Hall, which is another few hundred yards on from the Methodist Church. And I mentioned that fact. And I've been out of Fermanagh for way over 50 years. Uh, and I didn't know half of the people who were at the meeting, I would say, or at least a lot of them, the outsiders, the young man came out past me and I discovered who he was and I had mentioned that funeral and I said to him, that was your grandmother's funeral I was speaking about. And that's many, many years 
ago. It's about 65 to 70 years ago. And that, that's something that stood out in my mind. And every time when I saw a funeral, it spoke to me and it challenged me about my life. But one thing that I had, and in this God was very good to me, I had a friend uh, by the name of Kenneth Gowan, or Kenny as I called him. And Kenny Gowan came from a godly home. My parents weren't saved. Uh, my sisters and my two brothers weren't saved. There were seven of us plus my parents. None of us were saved. But Kenny was a friend to me. He belonged to the local Methodist church. And when he went to Queen's University in Belfast, uh, shortly after I started to work uh, in the Ulster Bank, and uh, Kenny asked me to go along to Finnehy Methodist Church where he was giving his testimony. And after he had given his testimony, he and I travelled home in the car and he started to witness to me and to tell me about the importance of getting right with God, getting saved, and how important that was. And I said to him, I suppose it's important like getting married. And he said, oh, it's far more important than that. That's not the way I saw it at the time. Uh, I was thinking of finding a wife. I wasn't thinking uh, wisely. Well, I was thinking wisely enough in that regard, but I wasn't thinking wisely long-term about my soul and getting saved. Well, uh, Kenny then brought me uh, in February 1966 along to Great Victoria Street Baptist Church where Pastor Willie Mullen was speaking at the evening service. And I remember, see, one and only time I heard Willie Mullen speaking in person. And after the service, I argued with my friend, because Pastor Mullen had spoken about Christ, uh, one person saving a vast multitude from sin. And I argued. And I said, how could one person save a whole multitude of people? I understand it now because I know that Christ is God. What he did is of infinite worth, but I did not understand it then, and I argued. And that same night, he took me to the Ulster Hall to hear Dr. Paisley. And Dr. Paisley had a vast crowd there, uh, and uh, at that time, he was uh, attacking the Prime Minister, uh, and uh, there was a little bit of a political message before the real message the gospel message. I have to say, I enjoyed the political message, but I didn't quite enjoy uh, the gospel message that he preached. That's to my shame, of course, I know. And then he arranged, because there was a, a gospel mission in the old Ravenhill Road Free Presbyterian Church, he asked me, would I come with him on the Wednesday night? Well, as it so happened, on the Wednesday night... Uh, Kenny had the flu and his brother Willie and his wife Florence they came, they picked me up and they brought me to the church I can remember where I was sitting in the church and I remember a particular incident that took place not only was Kenny sick but Dr Paisley was sick and two American evangelists were there to take that mission one of them was leading the other was preaching and well we never sang in the Church of Ireland. The choir did the singing. And uh, while there wasn't a choir in the Methodist Church, the Gowan men, uh, the Gowan men never sang. Uh, and I was preaching recently 
uh, in Mount Marion, and Willie and his wife Florence were there. And uh, Willie said to me afterwards, I was hoping you wouldn't mention the incident I'm going to mention to you, so don't tell him I've mentioned it here. We were standing there. Willie wasn't singing. I wasn't singing. Willie's a very tall man. He was a police officer, a police inspector, and he and his wife were there. I'm sure Florence was singing, but Willie and I, we were standing like two dummies. And the man who was leading the singing, he pointed us out, and he said, hey, can you two guys not sing? (laughs) Well, uh, how embarrassing was that uh, for us? Uh, But I do remember the preacher and what he had to say. He said, it takes no courage to stand on the street corner as a teddy boy, and I won't go into that, um, but it takes courage to stand for the Lord. And during that meeting, the Lord was speaking to me, and the preacher at the end said to us, uh, if if you're troubled and you're not sure where you stand, pray this prayer. I am not sure that my sins are forgiven. I am not sure that I'm going to heaven, but I want to be. And I remember to this day, I remember very distinctly praying and crying to God, praying those words exactly as I have repeated them to you, asking the Lord for mercy and for salvation. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that meeting was packed. I'm not sure how many the old church held, but probably four to 500 people it was packed. And the preacher said, if, if you prayed that prayer, then I want you to do something. I want you to put up your hand. So I put up my hand. Little did I know, I was the only one uh, in that gathering that had put up his hand or her hand. And I'm a very shy person by nature. And then he asked, if you put up your hand, I want you now to come up to the front of the church. And I had to go up to the front of the church. And after the service, uh, he spoke to me and pointed me. I think it was John chapter uh, 1, as many as received him. To them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And the Lord was good to me. I remember coming back and telling my family that I'd got saved. And you know the discouraging thing is this. As I told you, nobody was saved. They all thought it was a tremendous joke that I had got saved. I was working out how I would tell them, and they, they laughed. Now, for some time I went forward, and then I began to drift. And I didn't go into, you might say, what you would call outright backsliding. I was still going to church, but I might as well have been, in many respects, as I was before I professed salvation. One thing I will say, when I wasn't walking with God, I wasn't happy. Not happy. See, uh, when you're not right with God, and when you're not growing in grace as you should be, you cannot be happy. I I always think of Lot in that regard. Uh, There he was. He he made a very wrong decision uh, to go towards Sodom just because there was better land there for his cattle. And the Bible speaks about him vexing his righteous soul. Vexing his soul. uh, It's used twice. uh, And one of the words that's used is the same word uh, as the word that speaks of the torment uh, of uh, the rich man in hell. 
You cannot be happy unless you are right with God. And God started again to deal with me, uh, and I knew, I knew I, I needed to get right with God. Started to read the Bible again, and uh, making little steps of progress. And then it came to a crunch. I was staying in a flat in Belfast, remembered very distinctly up the Antrim Road. Uh, it was above a dentist, uh, a dentist practice. There were five of us staying in it. And I shared a room uh, with a man who worked in the bank. About three or four of us worked in the Ulster Bank. And uh, one man who shared a room with me was also called Gordon. And a strange thing is this. Uh, you know the, the minister of our church uh, in Londonderry, uh, the Reverend Glenn Wilkinson? Well, this Gordon was a cousin of the Reverend Wilkinson's father. I didn't know that until recent years. Uh, and they were organizing a party uh, in the flat. And Gordon said to me, would you not come to it? And I knew, I knew I couldn't go to that party. And he was speaking to me. He was at one end of the room, and I was at the other end. He said, would you not come to it? I said, no, I can't come because I'm a Christian. And that was a real turning point in my life. I had to take my stand for the Lord. And when I took my stand for the Lord, I can say I never looked back. Maybe there's some young person or someone who's not long saved, and you're tempted to, as the Bible puts it, hide your light under a bushel. And you don't want people to be looking at you or making comments because you're saved. Take your stand. Bear the reproach. That's what Moses did. He bore the reproach of Christ. And he counted that greater treasures or greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He was happy. And that was that turning point in my life when I said, I can't go because... I'm saved. And when I came back, I discovered many things. Next door to where our flat was in Belfast, there was a Christian bookshop. And in that bookshop were a couple, Mr. and Mrs. Pinkerton. They were an elderly couple. Maybe today I think they were young people, but they were an elderly couple. And I became friends with them. And I remember them asking me, how many people are in your family. And I told them, and they said to me, we'll have to pray for them. I hadn't thought, this is a strange thing to say, I hadn't thought of my family getting saved. I never thought my father would ever get saved. I remember thinking after I was saved uh, that it would be a dreadful day, and a day that I dreaded, dreadful day when my father died, and I would look on his coffin and I would know that he was lost and that he was in hell. That was my great dread that I had after I was saved. And Mr. and Mrs. Pinkerton, they encouraged me to pray for the salvation of my family. They brought me along to brethren prayer meetings. And uh, I might have ended up uh, amongst the brethren. But it turned out Mr. Pinkerton... I knew Dr. Paisley well. And the, the Martyrs Church opened, I think it was in October 1969. 
and I started to go with them uh, to prayer meetings in the newly opened Martyrs Memorial Church. And then there came to Springfield Orange Hall, that very same Orange Hall I was speaking about, uh, a gospel mission conducted by the Reverend Ivan Foster. And I went down to that mission and I never heard preaching like it in my life. I didn't even know to that point in time that there was a free Presbyterian church in County Fermanagh. I was attending the Church of Ireland and I never heard preaching like it. My mother came and she thought the messages were a bit too long and she thought the seats were a bit hard. I, I never even noticed. I was so blessed. And then, of course, nothing would do me but I would get to Lisbalaw uh, along with Kenny who came with me or maybe he even drove me uh, I started to attend Lisbalaw and I got great encouragement from the Reverend Foster's Uncle Willie uh, and I remember Willie saying to me one time uh, he was talking about confirmation he said before I was confirmed I was a sinner and after I was confirmed I was a confirmed sinner and he was a tremendous encouragement and I knew I knew uh, this is the place for me. And I'm very glad that I knew that. I went to see my minister to tell him that I was leaving, that I was going uh, to the Free Presbyterian Church. As you might imagine, he wasn't greatly pleased uh, with that information. Uh, but uh, I was attending from late 69 and then in 1970, I joined the Free Presbyterian Church in Lisbalaw. And the Lord began to work uh, inside my family. My brother Brian got saved after a meeting in February 1970. And Brian never looked back. He went straight forward. He's with the Lord in heaven today. He died at 49 uh, from bowel cancer. He was an elder in Lisbon and then later an elder in our church in Oma and did some lay preaching. I don't know if he ever came here uh, and preached, but uh, the Lord blessed him and the Lord used him. And he was, I believe, a, a shining light for Christ. And then in the summer of 1970, uh, after a meeting in Lisbon, I should explain that uh, there was a, a, quite a number of people, I don't know if Mr. Dane remembers this, but quite a number of people from Springfield, uh, center of the universe, uh, Springfield and Monet and Derry Gonley. Well, they weren't really from Derry Gonley that were travelling with us, but uh, around that area, there was probably about a dozen people. We travelled in an old minibus to church. Uh, and my brother Brian was one of the ones uh, that drove it. He was only about 18 uh, at the time. Uh, and uh, one night he was driving it, and he took a corner a bit sharply, and... Uh, a man that Mr. Dane will know, he's dead now, Bob Gott. Uh, his son married my sister. Well, uh, Bob spoke up from the back of the minibus and said, drive with a bit of manners, young Ferguson. And uh, that was Brian duly to told off. I wasn't actually there that night uh, when that incident uh, took place. But that night, uh, after a service in the summer of 1970, the late Edna Weir came out to the minibus and she said to me, your sister has waited behind after the meeting. And I immediately thought 
uh, my second youngest sister, Cynthia, was the youngest. She said, Cynthia. And I was surprised. I didn't think Cynthia had the same interest. She was only a young girl, 12 or 13 uh, at the time. But she waited behind uh, after the meeting, and she got saved. And she is walking with God to this day. Uh, And I spoke to Heather, uh, the next one up, uh, and I said to her, I thought that would have been you. She said, I was going to put my hand up, but I thought people would think I was just copying Cynthia. So I explained to her, if you want to get saved, you need to get saved. And the next Sunday, Heather got saved. And uh, it may sound repetitious, but Heather also has never looked back. The Lord was so good to me. Then in the following year, uh, and I can put a date on this, the 31st of January, 1971, Dr. Bill Woods spoke in the church in Lisbelaw and such a meeting such a sense of the Lord's presence. I had tried to get my youngest brother, Keith, to come to that meeting and all to no avail. And after the meeting, it was shortly before I got married, uh, after the meeting, uh, I was sharing a bedroom with Keith and I started to tell him about what Bill Woods had said in that meeting. And uh, Keith became concerned as I was talking to him. And he became concerned also about our parents. And he said, can you not get the Reverend Foster to come and speak to them? And I said to him, what about yourself, Keith? And he was in bed and he got out of bed and he got down at the side of the bed and he asked the Lord to save him. What a blessing that was. And uh, Keith tells people that he was saved through Bill Woods at a meeting he didn't even attend. Uh, But it's true. He did get saved through Dr. Bill Woods. Uh, It was what Bill Woods said and what I relayed uh, to my brother. And the Lord had mercy upon us. In 1973, uh, my sisters next to me in the family, uh, Diana got saved in the church in Enniskillen uh, through the ministry of the Reverend Foster. Uh, And interestingly, A few months ago, shortly before he died, a couple of weeks before he died, her husband, George, got right with God. Now, George had withstood a lot of preaching, and he was probably the most prayed-for man in the church in Enniskillen. But the Lord stepped in, and we didn't know he had such a short time to live, but he asked the Lord to save him. He was lying in bed, and he thought of that hymn, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And he thought of the words, time shall be no more. And as he thought of those words, he thought, I'll never see my family again. And he started to pray and cry to God. And he told Diana about it, and she said, are you saved, George? And he said, I don't know. And she said to him, would you like me to get the Reverend Porter uh, to come and speak to you? And the next day, Mr. Porter came, and He told the Reverend Porter the same story. And Mr. Porter said to him, Are you saved, George? He says, I don't know. And Mr. Porter then went through it and showed him what he needed to do to be sure. He asked the Lord to save him and he told his family. He told his family that he had got saved, phoned up his daughter and they were in tears on the phone. And his daughter, well, she's backslidden, but he told her uh, that he had asked the Lord 
to save him. And uh, he said when uh, he died, he wanted his Roman Catholic neighbors to hear the gospel at his funeral. How merciful is God? That man died one day after his 79th birthday. His mother was a godly woman. And I'm sure that woman prayed for him from the day that he was born. Prayed for for many, many years. And then the Lord steps in just a couple of weeks before he died. My parents were led to Christ by the Reverend Gordon Cook. He used to visit our home, my parents' home, and my father was very fond of him. And the Lord saved my one sister, the oldest in the family. I'm the next one down, the oldest in the family, and she's still not saved. So I would ask you if you would remember her and pray for her, uh, that the Lord would step in and that the Lord would save her, because we want a family that's complete in Christ. Now, my testimony, in a way, is only half of my story. You say, well, it's long enough uh, for only half the story. The, the other half will be a small half. You know the way you're dividing a cake and, or a piece of cake, and you say, well, cut it in half. And uh, if you're cutting it, uh, or a selfish person's cutting it, they'll, cut, they'll have the big half and the small half. Uh, it's not halved at all, but you know what I mean. This will be the small half, uh, but a much more important half, I can say, because it was in Lisbalaw that I met my future wife. At that time, I was desperately thin, put on a lot of weight since, and she said she'd never seen anybody so thin. Well, my eye fell upon her, and uh, I managed to ask her out. I don't know how I did, for uh, I, I'm a very shy person, as I said to you. Uh, asking her to marry me was much easier uh, after she had agreed to go out with me. Uh, Anne also came from a Church of Ireland background from near Rossley, and uh, she was invited by a friend to go to meetings uh, or to a meeting in Lisbalaw. And after that meeting, I think she went a second time. Uh, it was around the time the Reverend Foster came out of jail after a protest. After the second meeting, she came home. She got down at the side of her bed and she asked the Lord to save her. If I speak well of my brothers and sisters after they were saved, I can speak even more well of my wife. I knew her best, obviously. She was a trophy of grace, a real trophy of grace. After she was saved, she and a friend on Anne's day off, they went out round the towns and villages of County Fermanagh and they knocked doors and they gave out gospel tracts. And she became involved in the work. We started to go out together. And of course, I asked her to marry me and she agreed. And we were married on the 6th of March, 1971. That would have been 52 years ago uh, in March past. The Lord blessed us uh, with five children, three sons, two daughters, and also with uh, 11 uh, grandchildren. I think the number of grandchildren is now complete, and uh, it means that there's no more extra expense on birthdays uh, and special times uh, of uh, the year. Uh, but Anne was a tremendous support to me. She thought she was marrying a banker, 
And I took her from place to place when the Lord led us uh, here and there uh, in uh, the ministry. Uh, And I can say this. She gave me the utmost support. And wherever we went, she was very well liked, far better liked uh, than I was. I can say that without... uh, uh, being sanctimonious about it or, or being, uh, you know, uh, not really humble but sounding humble. She was far better liked than I was. When it was heard in Kilkeel, 20 years after we left, that she had cancer, uh, one of the elders told me that when they heard the news, it was as if she was still living in the manse, which is right beside the church. And I can say that uh, the people loved her in the church, and she was a great support to me. She grew up on a farm near Rossley in County Fermanagh, and when we went to England, uh, to the church in London, uh, she got work as a classroom assistant in a special needs school, and also uh, she was driving the minibus. You imagine what that's like, driving a minibus with children around London uh, after growing up on a farm, and in fact, Her father didn't even have a car. He never uh, learned to drive. So uh, all her movements around Fermanagh were on a bicycle. uh, And she was was a very (coughs) able rider. If I rode a bicycle to the end of the road, I'd fall off it. But she uh, uh, she spent her youth uh, cycling from place to place. Uh, Now, uh, the Lord led us uh, uh, in in, uh, wonderful directions. He laid upon my heart a desire to study for the ministry, and I prayed about it. The Lord gave me a word, and I started to study. I was hoping to start in 1973, and afterwards I wished I had, but the Lord directed me not to go then. If I'd gone in 1973, I'd only have had three years, but going in 1974, our cruel presbytery, I'm not saying that in in earnest, uh, they added an extra year onto the course, and uh, we had to do four years, and I'm always accused of griping about it. Uh, and one time, the Reverend Reggie Cranston was giving his testimony, and he referred to this, and he said, uh, I would have done ten years. And one, there were several of us there from the same year uh, as Reggie, and one of them said he'd have been on his own. <laughs> we weren't going to do ten years. But anyway... That, that gripe over, uh, we move on. Uh, I spent nearly three years in Portland Own uh, as the student minister and then was for a year uh, the interim moderator after I came back from England. Went to England uh, with a view to uh, starting a work in London. The Lord had laid it upon my heart. In fact, when I applied to study for the ministry, I had said I believed the Lord was calling me to London. But I went over there, studied there for three years. It was a means to an end attended Brian Green's church, and uh, for a year I pastored Dr. Green's church. Then I spent a year also as the national organizer of the British Council of Protestant Christian Churches, Uh, and uh, nothing opened up, and I I spoke to Dr. Paisley, and he said, come home for five to ten years. I wasn't ordained at the time. I'd finished my term in the theological hall. Come home for five to ten years, get ordained, and then you can go back. Well, I came home. I got a call to Kilkeel. I spent 15 happy years in Kilkeel. Uh, and uh, the people there 
some people think they're a law unto themselves. Uh, I will say I love the people, and I still love uh, the people in Kilkeel. It was my privilege to be the minister in that church for 15 years. Uh, now, towards the end of that time, uh, the Reverend Wesley Irwin, who was in London, he asked me to supply the pulpit in London uh, on two consecutive years for a month. And going back over to London, a burden lay on my heart to go there. And I started to pray about it. And Anne said to me uh, one day, she said, are you praying about your future? I said, I am. And she said, I hope you're not praying about London. Well, I said, actually, I am. And I can say this. Uh, once she heard that, she supported me at 100%. 100%. Uh, and she was as enthusiastic as I was. We even thought of going over and joining uh, Wesley and Jennifer Irwin in London and being a team. That's the way I was thinking. And we went along to the opening of the Sunday School complex, or it might even have been uh, the, uh, the stone laying of the Sunday School complex in Banbridge. And Dr. Paisley was preaching. And during the course of his sermon, he said to us, if the Lord is going to open a door for you, you don't need to open it yourself. Now, prior to this, I had gone over to London at Anne's request to see if we could find a house to live in, and nobody knew but ourselves. I wasn't confident enough to proceed, and so I said to Anne, I, I didn't go any further with it. She said, is this the end of London? I said, no, we've just got to wait. And then Dr. Paisley preached at that point, and both of us, both of us at the same time thought, well, uh, the Lord wants us not to open this door ourselves. Uh, then Mr. Irwin moved. Uh, he left London. London became vacant. And the forward movement, as it was then known, was in charge of the work. And the Reverend Elliot, who was the convener, he and I were close friends. And Anne and Jean, his wife, were close friends because uh, Mr. Elliot was our student minister in Oman. We lived opposite uh, the manse. I used to pick up Alison and Shirley to take them to Sunday school, uh, so we were close friends. Mr. Elliot said to me, would you do a month in London for us? I said, yes, I'd be happy to do that. And he knew of my previous interest, so he said, would you be interested in going there? And so I told him what I was thinking. I was asked to go for a month, and then at the end of that month, the people were sounded out. There wasn't a constituted work. The people were sounded out to ask uh, if uh, they would be happy for me to come. And, uh, well, uh, they were happy, thankfully. Uh, and the Lord led us to go to London. And we spent the same amount of time in London as I spent, or we spent, in Kilkeel. Fifteen happy years in London. People think, well, London, how could you like London? We loved it. We were very happy, and our small congregation grew from about 10 to 12 to 50 to 60, mostly from uh, the black community. Uh, and we loved the black people, and we got on very well with them. And the Lord was very good. In fact, one man who came to us and his wife, and 
I don't think they had a child at that time. They came to us from the Metropolitan Tabernacle. They were living in the area. Well, he's celebrating uh, very shortly his 25th wedding anniversary, and he has asked me to go over and speak at it, uh, and speak, obviously, about the blessings of marriage. Uh, He's a pastor, as I say, or did I say, uh, in a church in Grays in Essex. So that's how close our friendships are with the folk in London. It's on my heart. I pray for it. Uh, I have a promise for it. I have much people in this city from Acts chapter 18. And in fact, there's two verses there. Spurgeon has a great sermon on Acts 18, 9 and 10. And it's titled, Cheer for the Worker and Hope for London. And the verse says, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. That verse was a great protection to me, or great reassurance to me. When I was going out, I knew nothing would happen because the Lord would protect me. And he always did. He always did. And we had 15 very happy years in London. Uh, During the last uh, three years, uh, Patrick Baker came over. And uh, I was also looking after Lewis and also uh, uh, the interim moderator, in Tavistock, which was only 270 miles away, so obviously he didn't get down there too often, uh, but Lewis was vacant, so Patrick and I, uh, we looked after the two. Uh, I mostly did London, and he mostly did Lewis. Maybe 75 to 80% of the time I was in London, he was in Lewis. I was coming up to retirement age, uh, and Patrick was there, uh, and we were just ready to constitute the congregation, uh, which was a milestone for we'd, we had moved towards that point and then shied away from it. And finally, we felt we were strong enough to have the work constituted in London. Now, coming up in retirement age, I didn't think it was fair for my name to go forward for a call. Couldn't be called to an unconstituted work. Uh, and uh, Mr. Baker was happy to let his name go forward, and he received a unanimous call. And he laboured there, I think, in total for about 12 years, including the time he spent alongside me in the work. And we always got on well. Mr. Baker uh, was very easy to work with. And of course, I'm very easy to work with, um, but not everybody believes that. Uh, But if I believe it, that's sufficient for me, isn't it? Uh, And, uh, well, I am teasing a little bit uh, when I say that. Came to retirement age, And I pondered what I should do. Uh, I wondered, should I go and offer myself for Lewis and possibly even go to Tavistock? But I felt it wasn't fair. We'd been away from our family. Uh, They had sacrificed, and I didn't feel led. So I felt we must return to Ulster. I was asked uh, to take over a Greek class again. I'd taught Greek for 15 years in the college. I was asked to teach it again. And Mr. Greer phoned me one night, and I thought he's phoning to confirm this. He said, I I want you to consider the possibility of becoming principal uh, of the college. And uh, with uh, with that, it was almost like the poacher turned gamekeeper because of my my earlier gripe that I mentioned to you, or did I? Yes, I did. Uh, And, uh, well, I was asked to do it, and I, I, I was there for five years, uh, during the last year, uh, Anne was diagnosed 
uh, with ovarian cancer, and it was at stage four. Now, she went through uh, different stages. She was ill for just 11 months, uh, or just over 11 months from the time he diagnosed. And under the chemotherapy, she seemed to be doing very, very well. And then she uh, went backwards. They were going to give her stronger chemotherapy, but she, she hadn't been well. She had gastroenteritis that postponed uh, the severer uh, chemotherapy. In a way, I, I'm happy she didn't have to have it because it would have been sore, very sore on her. And she was always convinced that she would not survive it. She said to me about two or three weeks before she died, I have no fear of death. I have no fear of death. And she told the nurses who were coming in she had no fear of death. She always looked well. Well, I say always. There was a spell where she didn't look so well, but uh, even to a few weeks before her death, uh, she looked perfectly well. I photograph I took down in County Fermanagh at Loch Navarre, and I've shown it to people. It was just six weeks before she passed away, and she looked the picture of health. And in fact, as well as that, uh, I was looking after our Dara, which was vacant, uh, and we came here uh, with the Ardara Church. Uh, we, we went to different places uh, for our outing, and we ended with a barbecue here in Crossgar. And someone took a photograph of Anne and myself. We were sitting uh, together, and in that photograph, nine weeks to the day before she passed away, she looked again uh, the picture of health. But she died rather suddenly at the end. My daughter Stephanie came over, and she thinks she had a clot. Stephanie works as a nurse in the heart ward in the Royal, and Stephanie was convinced she had a clot. Stephanie worked with her, uh, but it was all to no avail. She was gone, we might say, in a flash. And the worst thing that has ever happened to me uh, was losing Anne. Uh, I can say that I miss her uh, every day. And in a sense, while the Lord is very gracious, and I can say that, um, I mourn her passing every day. She was a great wife. I wish I had been as good a husband as she was a wife uh, to me. Uh, and I did say I was taking uh, prayer meetings in Mullet Glass, and I said I was spoilt by two women. One was my mother, and the other was my wife, with the result that I wasn't very good at uh, not hoovering or things like that. I can manage that and keep the place tidy. But cooking, I never learned how to cook. And I said, by the way, this is not an appeal. I didn't want all the women in the church coming <laughs> with food to me. Uh, uh, and, uh, and having pity on me I can manage uh, and I know how to do it and my daughters are exceptionally good to me one lives round the corner uh, from me and I go to her house every Sunday and when she's away I go to my other daughters and I was there today and also my sons are all very good to me I'm thankful that they're all saved uh, and uh, that is a tremendous thing that the Lord saved them I should mention also how good the Lord has been to us. And uh, living in Oma at first, uh, after we were married, when I was in the bank. And when I'm down in Oma, uh, we, we had a house we bought there, uh, and I was able to get it a very cheap uh, uh, interest rate because of, of working in the bank. When I'm down in Oma, uh, I nostalgically drive round 
that area. I, that, I wonder if the people will look out someday and say, That's, that same car's gone past this house. He must be going to, to break in someday. But it is a place of, of great nostalgia for me because you just think back to the early days of your married life. And uh, I would love, if there's any period of my life I'd like to relive, uh, it would be those days uh, at the start. And, of course, those days at the end of Anne's life. Uh, and there's so much I would like to say to her and so much appreciation that I would want to express to her for all that she did for me and all that she meant to me. But to me, it's a great joy that she's saved, that I know where she is. How would I be today if I thought my wife hadn't been saved, uh, if I thought that she wasn't right with God? It's a tremendous blessing to know that your loved one is in heaven, born again of the Spirit of God. She did say to me when she told me she had no fear of death, she said, I don't want to leave you. And she said, I want to see the grandchildren grown up a little bit more. And I said to her, well, don't worry about me, I'm pretty resilient. But those are famous last words. You think you're more resilient than you are. But the Lord is good. We were in Oma, Portland, Ome, in London, uh, for four years when I studied then, 15 in Kilkeel, uh, 15 in London, then five in the college, uh, and uh, then, uh, as I say, uh, towards the end, Anne became ill, uh, and the Lord uh, took her home to be with himself. I did ask Mr. Dean if he would sing for us at hymn number 70, Immortal Honours Rest on Jesus' Head, because we sang that hymn at her funeral. And uh, many people commented on the singing. The funeral Lurgan Church was packed with extra seats, and then she was buried uh, at Tandragee. Uh, so I better not go on uh, on this mournful note, uh, but I will say this. Uh, she, she worked hard in the church. She started a junior church so that parents uh, could come in and be in the main service, and the children enjoyed it so much, and she taught them so well. They didn't want to come into the main body of the church when they were 14 and 15 they wanted to stay in her uh, junior church she helped out in every way uh, possible uh, and uh, we got the school minibus until we got our own uh, minibus and uh, that was used to bring children into our youth club to bring children into uh, our Sunday school so um, that was a great blessing to us the Lord has been good, and I've led different people to the Lord uh, during the course of all those decades. Uh, I remember the first person saved after I went to Kilkeel. A young woman came to see me uh, to tell me that she'd asked the Lord to save her. She was the only person in the church didn't wear a head covering. And she said to me about this, and she said, I, I, I feel that I was only wearing it because the people expected me to. Well, I said to her, you know, that's as good a reason as any. I didn't go into any discussion. That lady, that's over 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, she would never dream of appearing in the house of God without a head covering. And one man I remember particularly leading to the Lord, and I know I've run way over time. I hope you'll be merciful to me. Well, one man, he didn't belong to us. He was a Presbyterian. His wife came to us. They had no family. And his wife was greatly burdened for him, prayed for him, and shed tears over him. 
And I used to visit the home, and then uh, when Anna Long started, because they lived in Anna Long, she went to Anna Long Church. Then the church became vacant, and I was looking after it. I went out to visit uh, one night, and uh, you know the saying about kindly mourn? Uh, you don't just get a cup of tea, you get a whole spread. And we had our tea and moved into the living room, and I read from the scriptures, and I said to James, James, the last time I was here, you told me you weren't saved. Is that still the case? He says, yes. I said, do you ever think about getting saved? He says, every night. Well, I said, James, before you go to bed tonight, get down uh, on your knees and ask the Lord to save you. He said to me, what's to stop me doing it right now? And he got down at the side of the sofa and I led him in prayer. And every time uh, I saw him until he passed away, uh, he would say to me, do you remember that night? He always remembered it. He came to our church then in Analong. And the Lord has brought him home to glory to be with his wife who had died some years previously. Another lady that I visited when the first time we were in England, uh, one of the elders in Lurgan asked me to visit his sister-in-law. And she lived away out in a place called Ickenham, which is away to the west of London. And I visited her, lovely lady, a Mrs. Smith or Smythe, I'm not sure how to pronounce it because I think it would be called Smith here and was Smythe there. Well, uh, I visited her and uh, 15 years in Kilkeel, came back to England and I started to visit her again. And I was speaking to her and I said to her, are you saved? And she said, yes. I said to her, when did you get saved? And she said, after you visited me. And that was 15 years earlier. And I hadn't known that fact. So the Lord is good. And the Lord has blessed us and undertaken for us. Now, I'm not going to preach. But if you're not saved, you're troubled about your soul. In Hosea chapter 14, the Lord speaks to Israel. And he says to them, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. And then he puts words into their mouth. You can't go wrong. If God puts the words into your mouth, you can't go wrong. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. So God says, you pray to him. You turn from your sin. That's repentance. You say, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. That's a prayer for forgiveness. It's a prayer for God to be merciful. Do you think God will refuse such a prayer? Well, of course not. In verse 4, the Lord answers his own prayer. We might say that he's put into the mouths of his people to say, he says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for mine anger is turned away from him. The Lord will answer prayer. The Lord will forgive us. You know, I'm happy I'm saved. I couldn't be more thankful. Couldn't be more thankful. And I'm thankful for the goodness of God. Happy to know where my wife is and to know that one day I'll be where she is. How awful not to be saved. Well, what do you do? You obey what God has said. You go to him. You say to him, take away all iniquity. That's confession of your sin. Receive us graciously. Be merciful 
be gracious to us. And the Lord says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. So if you're not saved, turn to the Lord. If you've got away, because it also deals with backsliding. If you've got away, turn afresh. Turn afresh to the Lord. I wasn't happy when I was away from the Lord. Come to him. Seek him. Call upon his name. And he will answer. He will save. He will forgive. I know Mr. Dean had a closing hymn, but I don't think we'll sing it if you're happy. I'll close in prayer. Are you happy with that? Okay. And I'm sure you're sweltered. It's even more sweltering up here. And I never like taking off my jacket. So I'm doubly sweltered. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that thou would bless what has been of thyself. Let us give all honour and glory to the Saviour who died on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for thy blessing, for thy goodness. Thank you for the person of Christ, for the work of Christ. Thank you for the blood that he shed, the price of our redemption. Thank you, O God, for his mighty miracles that proved who he was. Thank you for his resurrection and the proof of his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. And now, Lord, we pray that uh, thou wilt bless each one of us. May we commit our lives afresh to thee. May we say, here am I, Lord. Here am I. Send me whatever thou dost want me to do. I will do it. Lord, be with us. We know there's a time of refreshing here uh, and the food provided. Bless it to our use. Bless thy servant who labors here. Bless the elders and the committee and the members and those who work in any respect in the church. We pray that when we leave this house, that thou wilt go with us. We can say, spread thy covering wings around us till all our wanderings cease, and at our Father's loved abode, those who are thine arrive in peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Mr. Dean, what do you want me to do next? (laughs) Go, Go to the door. Right.